Welcome back to Russell Street Replay. I'm your host, Nick Hometa. With me, as always, is Ronald Tooth and a new guest this week, Richie Bradshaw. Richie, really excited to have you on. Thank you guys so much. I've been looking forward to coming on and uh, dishing it out with you guys and talking our our favorite team in the whole wide world. All right, so this week we're going to recap all the Ravens picks as usual, hand out a couple of awards for their draft and the NFL draft league-wide. But first, our big question, uh, while we're going to get into all the specific players and picks later, what are your initial overall reactions to the Ravens draft? And go ahead and give it a letter grade. Ron, why don't we start with you? Uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's an easy A, probably even an A+. plus. When you just look, not even just the the talent level of each player, but the value that they got on almost every single pick, it's just ridiculous. You know, I think back to all these mock drafts we did and all of these, you know, best and worst case scenarios that we cooked up leading into the draft, I don't think any of us could have even sniffed as good of a draft as they actually ended up having. So uh, a, a plus, absolutely for me. Richie? Uh, I, I think I'm going to say a, a B plus to be modest, but I, I feel like this is definitely like a hard A class. I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to, to again, like I said, being, being a little bit modest, if for no other reason than just it, it's tough to look at this class, not adding a wide receiver after moving on from Hollywood Brown and whether or not the fan base loves him or hates him. He was a very important part of this offense it, and like, him and Lamar Jackson were so close together that it's tough to move on from a guy that has such a connection with a quarterback that you're trying to extend long-term and just not adding a wide receiver wasn't ideal. However, when you look at the the rest of this class, like Ronald said, I mean, you're, you added Kyle Hamilton with the 14th pick. You added Tyler Linderbaum with the 25th. You added, you, you added uh, David Ajaba who at one point in time was being talked about as a top 15 pick. In, in the early second round, you got so many guys with such amazing value that this class is definitely an A with the upside to be an A plus or even better than that. I'll, I'll listen to an argument. This is the best, the best draft class that anybody had this year. So I, I'm going B plus to be modest, but I, I feel like it's definitely an A. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to temper my, my enthusiasm about this draft class. But coming in, you, you just look at five picks. The first five picks as being insane value, like Ron said. And the rest of them are, whether it's players I like or players that really fit with the Ravens, have drafted historically and found a lot of success with. Um, Jordan Stout and Demarion Williams are probably the two I'm thinking of there. It's hard to not really be excited about this draft because it feels like such a high floor, high ceiling draft, right? You got guys that are going to contribute early and for a long time. And then some of the late round picks could really work out well as key role players like we've seen them do in the past. And so I I, I, I try to temper my enthusiasm, but it's it's hard not to be really excited. So I definitely give this a solid A with, with A plus upside. I mean, and one of the things is this this draft is getting praised around the league in a way that is different than the way other drafts are getting praised around the league. I think that's something that I take into account a little bit. It's not just that, um, you know, a lot of analysts really like the drafts, you know, the, the first four picks, but they also like the late round picks. They like how we're building our team. And while there are a lot of concerns about wide receiver, that isn't a major concern I've seen from, I guess, kind of the analysts that I kind of respect and follow a lot. They're not as concerned about us not having a receiver because they, like me, kind of trust the Ravens aren't just going to ignore it. We have a plan of some sort. It just hasn't really revealed itself yet. And so I think that's the 
That's the one thing that's holding back from this draft, like you said, Richie, is that the uncertainty at wide receiver again in Baltimore. So moving on here into our categories this week, we're going to start off with our favorite day one or day two decision. I think the nominees here are pretty clear. It's picking Kyle Hamilton at 14, trading away Hollywood Brown for a first round pick, using that first round pick to get Tyler Linderbaum. And of course, on day two, the Ravens getting David Ojabo at pick number 45 in the second round and Travis Jones pick number 76 in the third round. What is your favorite decision that they or that the Ravens made on day one or two in this draft? Uh, so mine is it's pretty clearly the uh, the Marquise Brown trade, not just because of the move itself, but everything that kind of went into it. I, I, we, all this stuff that leaked out about how he actually requested this trade right at the end of the season. And the fact that none of that got out. And it was also reported that if it had gotten out, it was a dead deal. It wasn't going to happen. So the fact that all sides, you know, Lamar included everybody that was in the know, the way that they were able to keep that quiet and really flip a guy that they got three years of production out of for another first round pick, which they then used to go get, which what could be a generational center for them, a guy that is here for maybe a decade, if it all pans out the way, you know, we'd like it to. So that trade in itself and everything that went into it really was the most impressive part of the early part of the draft for me. Ricky. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that it's, it's nice and boring. It's a Kyle Hamilton pick to get one of the, arguably five best players in this draft and a guy that even a lot of people said was the best player in the draft. It's just one of those, like this, the safety position isn't as valued enough to be going in the top five, this, that, and the other. Right. But when you get a guy with the range that Kyle Hamilton has, it's a, just a complete game changer for your defense. I mean, this is a guy who you can roam all throughout the the different levels of the defense he's rangy he's instinctive with ball skills and let's not forget you just added marcus williams to this defense too on paper you have one one of the two best safety duos in football i'd only put them behind buffalo's micah hyde and jordan poyer just because they're they're more established and we know what they are but you have two guys that you can get so creative and crafty with how you're going to line them up and scheme them and have them attack the football. You're, the back end of the defense just went from a complete liability to arguably one of the three biggest strengths on the team. Both of them have that ability to create turnovers. And you can, like, like I already said, like you can, you can get so creative with how you want to line them up, whether or not you want to have Kyle play closer to, to the line of scrimmage and in the box, so to speak, or, if you want to have both of them drop deep in a cover two kind of kind of look, but whatever you want to do with them, you're going to be able to, to just be so flexible with the way you want to call your defense. It's going to make life a lot easier on your front seven. And even for your corners with Humphrey and Peters, both coming back from season ending injuries, having those safeties behind them is really going to help. And who knows, maybe Chuck Clark will get, pushed up into the into the front seven and more of like a like a dime linebacker role a little more often and you'll be able to have all three of them out on the field yeah so i think i think that analysis is what really has me excited about the hamilton pick it it unlocks this defense in a way that we haven't really seen it it weirdly felt like we've talked about this a lot with wink martindale's defense it's weirdly felt like 
as as aggressive as that defense is, it, it boxed players in. It, it didn't necessarily give as much freedom on the field because it was so much about the blitz schemes and the pressures, which, look, it, it worked at times. It didn't work at times. That that era is clearly over, and we're in the Mike McDonald era. And, and again, looking back at what he does at Michigan, Cal Hamilton's going to be partially in that Dax Hill role, not completely, but you can see Kyle Hamilton being a player with better instincts, better tools, a, a, a better size, a better overall player than Dax Hill is right now. And him sliding into that role in that defense could be really exciting. But I think I'm just most excited about the David Ojabo pick. And this is definitely a little bit of the, you know, sentimentality of someone who who loves the sport and loves the people in it coming through because the the call that, that David Ojabo got was, you know, you could tell that he was worried about where he would get drafted because he tore his Achilles training and trying to impress people before the draft. That is a brutal time. I think the only t- thing that can compare to that is playing in the college football playoffs and getting injured because you're trying to win a championship for your college team. And, you know, to do it when you're training, getting ready for the draft, you're, all those scouts are watching, that's brutal. You have no idea how far you're, how far you're going to fall. And not only to have him not fall too far, yes, he fell into the second, but he didn't fall out of it, um, but go to the team who was the coaches who unlocked him the most in Mike McDonald and defensive assistant Ryan Osborne, you could tell that not only did that mean a lot to him, not just to get drafted, but to get drafted by the Ravens and by Mike McDonald. Um, you know, that, you know, the the coach who helped me help, help make me who I am as a player wants me back. And and I think you're that's the kind of pick where you are going to get the absolute most out of that player in Baltimore. And I, I, I think there's a good chance we look back on Ojabo as the best pick the Ravens made in this draft, because I think there's a good chance he ends up as an all pro edge rusher before the end of his rookie contract. Yeah, I so. would definitely agree with that. Also, it, it, it's funny, like you don't normally think of the fact of like a torn Achilles can end up being a blessing in disguise for a guy, but the fact that he was able to slip to Baltimore, to your point, to this situation and be surrounded by a lot of really good players in the process that they brought in this year. Like you guys were talking about Kyle Hamilton, even Travis Jones. Uh, it's as long as everything goes status quo with his recovery, this, this will end up in the long run being a plus for David Ajabo, which is crazy to say when you're talking about an Achilles injury. Yeah, and, and again, it's an Achilles. They've, they've made a lot of advancements in recovering from Achilles. Um, a, a lot of people are going around with the study that players who got Achilles injuries would never play again. Kind of a really outdated study. It, I don't think we're really thinking about how many players have torn their Achilles in the last few seasons and come back just fine um, very quickly. And so I'm, I'm hoping, and again, my hopes aren't super high for Ajabo this year. I think he'll, you know, pop off the edge towards the end of the season, maybe make a play in the playoffs, but that's probably about it. But that's all I that's that's all I need, right? We're we're looking at the future of, of him and Oe as the as the pass rush do on Baltimore, and I think that's really exciting. Uh, moving on to, to our favorite day three decision, I'll just go through the picks here real quick. Um, Daniel Falele at pick one ten, Jalen Armour Davis at pick one nineteen, Charlie Kolar at pick one twenty eight, Jordan Stout at pick one thirty, Isaiah Likely at pick one thirty nine, Demarion Williams at pick one forty one, and the Ravens' last pick, running back Tyler Batty. Um, uh, pick 196. Uh, so what was your favorite decision of those picks? Hey, Richie, why don't you kick this one off, brother? Um, of the, of the day three picks, because mm-hmm. there, there's quite a few here. I like the Demarion Williams pick a lot because he just, he feels like that Tavon Young kind of player. And I feel like 
they they definitely need to have that guy to replace what they had with Tavon. And I think that he could be that kind of player. He did have eight pass breakups last year, which that's awesome. That's what you want to see out of out of any defensive back. Um, I think that the easy pick, though, is probably David Falele because you have that big, massive, almost very similar to a uh, Orlando Brown kind of tackle. And I love Morgan Moses. I think that he's going to be starting quality for you. But Falele is definitely the future and a guy that you're going to hopefully sit back and develop for a little while. And for what it's worth, he is kind of fun to watch. I don't know if you guys saw any of the highlights that they had, mm-hmm. but like throwing throw touchdown touchdowns. passes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that makes me excited for him to potentially be like a swing tackle for you. Very similar to what we had at James Hurst a few years ago. And Lord knows how important Hurst was for this offense. So we, it feels like we haven't had that guy since him. So if Falele could possibly bring that to the table for you, then that that's huge. So I would put it between Demarion Williams and David Falele. I feel like that's a coin flip for me. Fair, especially in terms of the the value with Daniel Falele as well. Uh, yeah, like uh, there was a few months ago, people were mocking him to us in the second round. And here we go. We steal him in the fourth. But for me, I don't think this one's going to be a surprise. Anybody who's listened to our show for the past few months, it seems like a layup. It's Isaiah Likely for me. I've been pounding the table for the guy since day one. They double dipped at tight end. It was kind of a fun range of emotions because when they first took Kolar, I was like, well, there's there's that out the window. We're not taking him. And then they go around in a few picks later and double dip on the tight end. And we all saw what happened the last time they did that with Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. I'd say it worked out pretty well. Uh likely it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. If they actually do kind of try to transition him to be more of a receiver, like a, a pure wide receiver. I don't know if they would do that. And it's still, we got months out before we, you know, before we gauge those kind of things, but he's not a guy who's going to be lining up on the line of scrimmage too much. I can assure you that he's not going to be doing too much blocking, but a lot of people had him myself included as the best, just pure pass catching tight end in this draft. He's a real difference maker. And having him and Andrews both for Lamar Jackson is really going to, I think, unlock, or I guess I should say re-unlock what we saw from him in 2019 in terms of that MVP form and really having two security blankets on the field at all times. Yeah, so I'm, I'm torn between between what I like, and, and I guess I'll, I'll comment on the tight ends, which is one thing I'm torn on before I go to, go to I think, what my decision is for best, um, for favorite decision. So I really like the tight end double dip. Not I like the players plenty, but more because it screams to me what the Ravens' plan is. And the plan is to go back to 2019, right? They, they want to go back to pa- these heavy sets that they can pass out of. And it felt like with, with Eric Tomlinson lined up as tight end two, we could never really pass out of heavy sets. He's a fantastic blocker, but just not enough of receiving threat. Whereas you get guys like Kolar and Likely, who they're not the best blockers right now, but as your second and third tight end with Boyle and Ricard also on the roster, you don't necessarily need that. They're good enough blockers that they're a threat in the run game. And the Ravens do a good job of coaching up their tight end blockers. But it really gets back to that 2019 where it's, it's it, it'll be Andrews, Bateman, Dobbins or Edwards and pick your tight end, pick, pick another, pick two tight ends or a fullback to throw out on the field and see how opponents try and match up with that. But my real favorite decision of round four or day three is Jalen armor Davis. And 
I know there are injury concerns with him, and, and, and that is that is something I think the Ravens, they do their homework on. And, and if their medical team tells them whether or not they can draft a player and what the risks are. And so I don't know all of Jalen Armour Davis's medical information. I'm not going to presume to, to, to speculate on how quickly he'll be able or how you know, many times he'll get injured in the pros. The big thing to me is this is the kind of cornerback I wanted them to draft. Um, he, he's a physical cornerback, but he really didn't get a chance to play his best football yet. One of the things I, I realize is that the fact that he's been injured means that he misses out on those years of development. And he's now going to get more time to develop in Baltimore. He's going to have Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters in front of him. And he fits to me exactly the kind of late round cornerback who ends up becoming a very good cornerback too in the NFL. I'm, again, I think he's probably got the physical skills to be a cornerback one. I'm not going to project that for him, but I really think he'll be a good cornerback too. And potentially a long-term running mate with Marlon Humphrey because Peters is getting a bit older and it's going to be hard to pay him 15, $20 million a year after this. Um, I think Armour Davis could be a very, very sneaky, good pick. The second coming of Anthony Averett, if you will, mid-round Alabama corner. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's honestly his floor. I I think he has a higher ceiling because I mean Averett never hit. I don't think ever Averett ever played up to what people thought his talent level could be. I really hope he does in Las Vegas because he clearly has a lot of the skills. But I think Jalen Armour Davis has in a weird way, we knew more about Averett coming out. We knew what we were getting. Um, we know a little bit less what we're getting with Armour Davis because we've really seen more of the flashes. He had a really good season this year, but he didn't doesn't really have that much tape elsewhere. And so the question is, one, can he have that consistency year in, year out? And two, can he not be injured? But I think if both of those are answers are the right ones, the Ravens have landed a future cornerback too. Uh, so moving on, now we have w- the overall biggest steal of this draft pick from any any of the Ravens pick. Which one do you think, like where they drafted him, the value, where that player fell to is just a little bit insane? It's it, it's kind of tough because or I would I'd want to go a Jabo, but you, you kind of understand why you, when you look at the injury. Um so I guess I'd probably go Travis Jones. I know it's kind of a mixed bag on him in terms of, you know, some people had him as that first round, you know, best interior lineman in the draft. Other people would say, hey, I don't see it. Um, being a Connecticut guy myself, I kind of focused on him a little more, and I love the things that I saw from him. I do think he is closer to that sort of first round projection that a lot of people had him. He's going to be a real difference maker, and he's another guy who, even though he doesn't have to come in right away and immediately – contribute when you know we have Michael Pierce we have Campbell coming back I think he will by the time by the time we get to mid-season end of season he's going to be taking the vast majority of those Michael Pierce reps I think he's going to be potentially the the biggest difference maker right away we'll say so you think he's going to play the most snaps early and change and kind of impact that defense right away. Uh, Maybe, maybe not at first game, but it's going to be pretty quick. I think. Okay. No, I like that projection. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's, that's how it comes through. Richie, what's your, what's the biggest steal of this draft? Um, I, I feel like I just got to be like the white bread here. Nice and boring (laughs) and and tell you that it's probably Linderbaum because Linderbaum, there was a point in time. I think everyone has kind of forgotten he was talked about as a top five pick because he was such such a clean, proven, high upside, high floor kind of kind of player. He was but mocked similar, to the Giants a lot early. Yes, he was a lot. 
And it he fell into the same trap that Hamilton did, where it was like, well, center isn't the most valuable position in the world. And because of that, everyone kind of fell into that trap of, well, let's let's just keep passing on a great player. So with Linderbaum falling further and further down the board, I remember when that when the 25th pick came up and uh, it, my, my buddies were asking me like, Hey, what do you want here? I was like, I don't know. Like the, the board is so vast. And they said like Linderbaum, I was like, Oh, Holy cow. He is available. Isn't he? Like, it just, it didn't even like dawn on me. And then we made it. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like I'm really into this. And it it's, it's great, great value for a great, great player. And I think the league is going to look back at the decision to let both of these guys fall as far as they did and realize that they shouldn't have done it. Me and a really good friend of mine have, have this logic of at the end of the day, if you're drafting pro bowlers, that's all that matters. And both of these guys have that pro bowl upside with Linderbaum, perhaps having arguably the highest floor of any player in this class to me, getting one of the best players one of the most proven guys and one of the most like day one pro ready guys with the 25th pick I feel like that's probably that's probably my choice here yeah so I think for me I think for me the biggest steal I think it's got to be Jones because I think to me I compare that to to ADP where his or sorry EDP where he's expected to be drafted expected draft position and he was a guy who everyone thought was going to be the third interior lineman off the board, um, you know, just drafted a lot earlier. He was someone who some people are even saying the Ravens should look at for 45, um, which I, I didn't really love just because I think there were going to be better players like Ojabo available at 45, but at 76, I didn't expect him to be there at all. And so I'm glad that they, I'm glad they went for him. I think that that is a, that's a case where a player falls to them that they may not expect to be there. And then they have to decide, wow, do we stick with, one of our guys who we were planning to take here, or do we go ahead and take this great players fallen to us? And I think I would be worried about the Ravens doing that. I'd be worried about them. And, and again, they, they tend to stick with their guys. They like to do that in the draft. We saw that in the fourth round, but I do think you have to play the draft live and the Ravens did a really good job with that this year. And I think the Jones, the Jones pick and the Philele pick explain why Philele, like you said, future projecting starting right tackle um, to me, just a beast that just needs to work on playing football, right? It's, it's the fact that he hasn't played for that long. It's not like he's played for really long and has a lot of outstanding technical issues. It's just that he hasn't really developed as much as a football player yet. And Ojabo arguably is kind of the same case. Um, he has not been playing football for that long either. And so I think uh, the Ravens are just looking at the future and they're looking to stack their roster, not just now, but in two, three years when we are paying Lamar Jackson 40 plus million dollars a year um, that we have all of this cheap. And like you said, pro bowl talent, because having a bunch of pro bowlers across the board is going to help you when your other positions might be weaker, even if it's, you know, a pro bowl center versus a pro bowl wide receiver. Although I think we'll have both within the next two years. I think for me, I just want to see a goal line set with Pat Ricard at running back and Daniel Falele as fullback just to see the fan base's minds melt. Yeah, Falele, you know, played a little <laughs> trick play quarterback in college. I mean, the, this is the kind of stuff that I think Greg Verman has hidden in his vault. I don't think Falele was a pick for the offensive line. I think Falele was actually a tight end pick. <laughs> and, and we're looking at a very, very interesting heavy set coming out. Um, I mean, could you imagine if they like Chess, lined up a tight end across from like 
some poor like blitzing nickel corner or something like that would be awful. Oh, poor guy. Tavon Young. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, I think we can all agree the Ravens did quite well in this draft. Is there one pick or what is your least favorite pick of all the drafts? Even if you like them all, what is one you may have changed? I don't even know if I would say changed. I guess the, the Jalen armor Davis pick just kind of gives me a cause for a pause just because we already took a Jabo who's kind of got that injury concern. So to double dip on guys like that, it's always something that at least makes you raise an eyebrow. But I, again, I don't even know if I would change it. If he ends up panning out, we're going to sit here and, you know, everything that you said about him before uh, it, it could end up being a really good pick. So I wouldn't say least favorite or regret it. I guess I'll just say the only one that maybe made me raise an eyebrow a little bit. Richie. Um, there really aren't a lot of picks that I truly like. I'm not happy with af- after the conclusion of the draft. I will tell you that the one that didn't blow me away was the Tyler Batty pick. And it, it's, it's not even so much like a man, this is a really bad pick. It just, to me, there were, there were other running backs that intrigued me more, not so much at that pick, but just in general, but he also is a pretty, pretty productive guy. I mean, he did just rush for 1600 yards and led the sec. He does have some pass catching ability. I, yeah. And, and the one thing that that is pointed out here, cause I, I did pull up ESPN to kind of take a look at everything is he only had two fumbles on 513 carries and who values not fumbling the football more than John Harbaugh? I mean, look at how good it looked like Tyson Williams was going to be last mm-hmm. year, but because of the ball security issues, he was never on the field. So if Batty were to stick around long-term, which there's a very good chance he does because Gus and Jake aren't going anywhere, but just as Hill's spot is far from secure and he's coming off an Achilles, Batty has a very realistic shot here to end up sticking with the team long-term. So I like the pick. It's just like, maybe it's just the fan in me. I I wish it was a different back, but I I feel like it's really nitpicking. Other than that, there really weren't too many picks that had me upset. I don't know how I feel about double dipping at tight end, but it makes me wonder what the future of Nick Boyle is because you can't cut him. There's like literally no benefit to cutting him, taking a look at everything from spot track and over the cap and whatnot. But does that make him tradable? I'm not sure. Maybe you just cut Mark Andrews. I don't know. Just save yourself (laughs) a little bit of money. Yeah. I I think what you're saying about there's no picks I hate, which is always good. There's just picks you have questions about like was, is, is Batty the best answer at running back? Well, uh, you know, I haven't looked into him enough, the, the, but the things you're saying about him and the things I've heard about him sound like what I want in a running back. Not a lot of fumbles, receiving game upside and can handle a workload when, you know, we're not 100% sure about where Gus and JK are going to be at the start of the season. And I'm going to want to have them on somewhat of a pitch carry count um, as they start the year. Just I don't want them to re-aggravate it. Right. It's, it's all about the long term, especially JK. He's a long term piece of this offense. The other one, the, the other the other two. Jordan Stout drafting a punter, you know, I think it's fine value because I think Stout is a good punter and I don't think there's anything wrong with using an extra fourth rounder that you pick up 
on a punter. That being said, is Stout versus Ariaza. I guess Future is going to tell us about that one. The Ravens, I guess, clearly wanted a right, right-footed right punter instead of Ariaza. Um, <laughs> and I think that does open up room for Sam Cook um, to leave the team, unfortunately. But I do think it's more of a situation where he told the Ravens he was probably going to retire. He was contemplating retirement but didn't announce it so that they weren't sniped by another team looking to get a punter because that, that, that even the, even the tiny details of that strategy matter to Eric DaCosta and this Ravens front offense. And so I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw cook retire. Um, you know, he's got a family. I, I, I'd be surprised if he wanted to move. I think his kid plays football for the local team. I don't know if he's in high school yet, but I'd be surprised if he wanted to leave this area. And so I think it's more a matter of he was contemplating retirement and the Ravens were like, well, we really like the punter this year's punter class, which is true. It's a great punter class. So we're going to find our long-term punter now, instead of waiting for next year when, you know, maybe he plays another year, but that way it also saves the Ravens that, that $2 million or whatever. And the other one is Demarion Williams. I, I hope he is Tavon Young part two. I imagine the Ravens probably saw that in him. Uh, I believe he's a he was a captain of that Houston defense. He was a, you know played in the slot and outside, which is something that they like to at least have you know as a, as an arrow in your quiver. Um, overall, I think that pick is going to be uh, let's see how he does because I have no way of you know they, they are the experts in evaluating that kind of physical cornerback play. They they have their guys that they like. And he was clearly one of them. And so I think that there were probably other players I would have taken on the board, but that's because I have my, you know, personal lens, the way I view prospects and the guys who I have biases towards at this point. So it's hard to really complain about it, but I would say those are the two I have the most questions about. Um, Because again, a fourth rounder is a guy you maybe draft as a potential rotational key contributor one day, maybe a starter, but at least a rotational guy. If it's a starting special teamer versus a rotational I don't know, wide receiver even, are we, are we questioning that later? Um, so I think those are, those are the only kind of notes I would have on this draft. Any early analysis on the Ravens undrafted free agent class so far? I know it's kind of early to get into um, who they kind of film and who they are specifically, but any early analysis about like where they're going position-wise, anything like that? Yeah, well, the the one that immediately jumped out to me was uh, Slade Bolden, the, the the slot wide receiver from Alabama. Obviously, the Ravens love their Alabama players. Uh, Bolden was very much kind of overshadowed given the amount of talent on that Alabama team at wide receiver, but a really tough, gritty kind of guy and a guy who I think probably is not going to make an impact right away, but down the line and with some development and things like that, he he could be one of the better slot corner slot corners, slot receivers in the league. So him and also Josh Ross, the linebacker from Michigan, Mm -hmm. obviously with Mike McDonald, the connections are there. We all know that his specialty is coaching the linebackers. So if he gets McDonald's stamp of approval, then that's good with me. So the more Michigan guys that we can bring in and God, it, Grosses me out to even say that as an Ohio State fan. But, you know, the more guys that he's willing to put his stamp of approval on and put his reputation on the line for, uh, you know, bring him in. Richie, any any thoughts on the undrafted class? I got the list pulled up in front of me here, and I'm just kind of scrolling through, taking a look. Obviously, I feel I feel like the, the consensus most exciting uh, a guy is definitely Slade Bolden if for no other reason than because he plays receiver and he is from the university of Alabama, which historically are not Arizona uh, Baltimore loves to double dip with them. The reason I said Arizona is because the ASU fan in me 
took a look and saw that Tyler Johnson, the pass rusher from Arizona State, who was just a first team uh, all Pac-12 player this year, is coming in for a, uh, a, a practice, essentially, for them. They're bringing him in for minicamp. That's the word I'm looking for. So uh, he's coming off a 36-tackle, four-sack season. Now, Arizona State really struggled to generate pressure against quarterbacks and actually bring them down. Fun fact, they went five games without recording a sack. So that was awesome. But <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Johnson was far from the problem there. I think that this, unfortunately, at the end of the day, if I'm being completely honest, he's a camp body. But I, I am excited to see him potentially get that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, Slade Bolden, Tyler Johnson, and then uh, is it is it Josh, the 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 Michigan linebacker? Yeah, Josh yeah. Ross. That's Josh so Ross. funny. Neither of us can remember this guy's name. Yes, Josh <laughs> Ross. I, I'm intrigued with him as well. Uh, one one guy I want to touch on as well. Sorry, sorry if I'm taking all of them from you guys. No, you're good. There's Interesting. A lot of yeah, it isn't. It, there is a lot of them. Interesting for me is Anthony Brown, the Oregon quarterback. So mm. with, with all the conversation surrounding Tyler Huntley, because remember, people generated generated this dialogue of, ooh, well, maybe we should trade him, this, that, and the other, and. You know, you had the absolutely extreme fans who were like, let's trade Lamar, get a few firsts and start Tyler Huntley. And, you know, just the total doomsday fans. But either way, like if you were interested in trying to shop Huntley, Anthony Brown's a replacement because they're they're so similar to each other. And maybe it's lazy because they're both Pac-12 guys. But I don't know. I, I got to see a lot of Anthony Brown. And I think that he is a quality guy. I think that he'd be a really good fit for this team. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was a practice squad guy for, for the whole year. Like this feels like a Raven stash and develop guy, the same way that Huntley was. Yeah. So I would say one, I really like, I really like Brown. And I think everything you guys were saying really about getting Michigan guys, that's something that that chemistry and knowing, knowing how players play best is kind of an underrated part. I think of, of NFL defenses, especially knowing what roles and what schemes what coverages, what types of zone coverages, what types of receivers, tight ends, running backs guys match up against. It's not just he's good at man coverage. It's he's good at this type of man coverage against this type of receiver. And so having all of those specifics as a coach is super important. The receiver class is probably the most interesting to me. There's Amika Emezi, I think that's his name, um, as well as Slade Bolden, who kind of run the gamut of um, big to small. I mean, they really went with some really big receivers. Um, another one, Devon Johnson, I think it's like 207, um, two, uh, 207 pounds, six foot five. So just a, a lot of big receivers, big bodies. I think one thing is clear that they didn't love this receiver class. They didn't love this inside linebacker class. If they did, they would have made some picks in the fourth round on it. And clearly they didn't like it enough. And so I think they were looking to grab some of these guys as undrafted free agents. My thing is who makes the roster. I think Slade Bolden's probably a good, good, good bet to make the roster as a, if we're going to pick one right now, just because they have that need at wide receiver, even if they add another right now, they'll probably, even if they add a vet, they'll probably have one of the undrafted guys, whether it's one of the guys from this class, Benjamin Victor, um, Jalen, uh, Jalen Moore, one of those guys make the roster. So I think I'd bet on a wide out, um, if anyone making a roster from here, whereas I think Anthony Brown, a couple, uh, a couple of these other guys, um, will definitely be on the practice squad. I think the inside linebackers, they're also thinking about special teams because that's an area where Chris board leaves. You're suddenly mm -hmm. losing a little bit of depth there. So I think it's a, you know, the Ravens like to sell that they, 
The Ravens are smart. It's not just that they like, you know, signing undrafted free agents for the the undrafted free agent mentality and getting quality players in their team for cheap early in their careers. It's also kind of a cycle, right? You establish yourself as the destination for undrafted free agents. The best undrafted free agents want to sign with the Ravens because they know the Ravens like undrafted free agents. And so it's a good cycle to just keep having where you keep getting a really good undrafted free agent class every year. And then basically you get yourself an extra two late round draft pick, essentially guys you would have taken if you had an extra pick or two in the late sixth or seventh round. I think that's why we're willing to part with a lot of those sixth and seventh round picks in the last few years is because we feel like we're going to be able to get, get the guys we want on drafted free agency anyway, because we have a good, good way to sell them. So the last kind of category I have for the Ravens specifically is the best and worst case for the outcome of this draft class. And I'm not saying you have to go through every player, but just in general, how you see the best and worst case of this draft class going. Well, the best case scenario is that it all plays out like it looks on paper. And this is the best draft class they've ever had. And it's, Crazy to say that when you think about a team that's had so many cornerstone classes, I mean, going all the way back to 96 with Ray and Ogden, and then there's 2018 with Lamar and Mark and go down the list and numerous drafts in between that span, but just top to bottom on paper right now, I would say that the, the best case scenario is that this is the best draft they ever had and that they laid those cornerstones down in numerous key spots that were question marks heading into this weekend. Uh, the worst case scenario, I, I, I still think this is a very high floor class. So even if it doesn't, you know, say a job takes a little longer to come back and Armour Davis isn't what we really thought he was and stuff like that. There's still almost guys that I view as like can't miss guys like Kyle Hamilton. I, I think Travis Jones, despite the, you know, um, the disparity in terms of how people view him, I think that they have enough high floor can't miss kind of guys in this draft that even if it isn't what we think it's going to be, it's still going to be pretty damn good. Ricky. Uh, I think the best case scenario here, looking at everyone you got is you got four pro bowlers. You got Jordan stout, the punter you've got, you've got David Ajabo, uh, Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum, but the upside of other guys as well. Like if a David Falele does get a full-time starting job, if he's able to become a, Orlando Brown kind of player for the Ravens at the right tackle spot. You, you have, you have a lot of upside with this draft. And I think that this could be a, a franchise defining class because there's so many guys who could have huge roles. More upside here is uh, Davis or more allows you to get cheaper at the position. If Marcus Peters does walk after this year, and become a boundary corner for you. And Demarion Williams becomes a reliable slot corner for you as well. You find another tight end with likely or Kolar. You get, you get Travis Jones to emerge as one of the future cornerstones on the defensive line. So best case scenario is, is you filled a lot of holes with this class and you have a lot of upside as well. Now, if, if you're asking for the worst case scenario, then I'm looking at guys who just unfortunately their thresholds didn't stand up because one of the reasons Linderbaum quote unquote fell is because of the size. He was under 300 pounds and maybe he gets to the pros and he just, unfortunately he, the shorter arms and uh, lower weight and center of gravity is going to end up holding him back. Maybe Hamilton doesn't prove to be as rangy as we want him to be because he's not the freak athlete that, 
uh, that that a Derwin James was when he was coming out. Maybe that catches up to him. Maybe Jones doesn't take that next step. Maybe Ajabo's never the same after the Achilles tear. Maybe the rest of this class just straight up doesn't make the roster. Like Armour Davis, maybe he's Ivan Marshall again. We just don't even get to see him on the field because of the because of the injuries. There, there. To me, this is a really high, high upside class. But I think there's also a lot of risk that went into it. Now it's calculated risk. It's not. It's not. I'm looking at this class and I'm like, oh man, yeah, this is this is just boomer bust. It's not a boomer bust class. It, it's just a class where there there could be a lot of really questionable decisions. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a good class. So I think the best case for this class is you get a pro bowler, an all-pro safety in Kyle Hamilton, an all-pro center in Tyler Linderbaum, a pro bowl edge rusher in David Ajabo. I think... And I'm saying, and I'm saying, like by the end of their rookie contracts, this is their potential, right? I think Jones is the kind of player who, like you said, cornerstone on the D line. He will, he will, he will start on the team for a long time. But if he develops that pass rushing juice, best case scenario, I think he's another Pro Bowler candidate. Falele is another Pro Bowler candidate. After that, it's going to be really hard to tell. I think Armor Davis. I, again, I see him more as a C, developing into a CB two, and I'm not sure if that quite gets him to Pro Bowl level, but. I could see Falele starting by the third or fourth year of his rookie contract and being a beast. I think that's totally possible if the Ravens get his development right, and that's the best-case scenario. Now, worst-case scenario, you still got a starting safety, a starting center. I The worst, worst-case scenario is Ajabo never makes it back from his Achilles. I don't think that's really that plausible, so I would say the worst case for him is he becomes a designated pass rusher who, who really is only a speed guy and is pretty limited that way. Jones isn't able to translate pass rush in the NFL, but I still think he'll be a decent enough run stuffer on a rookie contract. And, and that's, you know, that's not bad value either. Falele, I think the worst case from him is the worst case for the, the fourth round is pretty rough though, right? Falele, Armour Davis never quite get to be starters, whether it's injuries with Armour Davis technique with Falele, Jordan Stout, ideally he's a really good punter and he doesn't flame out like, you know, Roberto Aguayo did. That's why you don't trade up to get a special teams player. Um, neither of the tight ends really develop into true tight end twos. Um, and, you know, Demarion Williams and, and Batty are just, you know, late, later round picks that didn't work out. In that worst case scenario, you've still gotten two very reliable, three very, three reliable starters plus Ojabo as a pass rushing starter in this draft. And I, I still don't think that's a lot to to complain about obviously worst case scenario could be a lot worse. So I guess I'm saying kind of within, within the range of what you might expect versus the unexpected, you know, injuries or, you know, other awful things that could happen, knock on wood. Um, that's a pretty good haul. And again, the best case scenario, this, this draft class will look like the 2018 draft class. Um, we will look back on it and say, wow, they got value across the board. They got a ton of future starters and they found a couple of pro bowlers in the late rounds or in the, in the mid, in the mid rounds. Um, and so I think I think that's the upside of this draft class. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think this this was the kind of draft that Eric DaCosta really needed to to shut some people up. You know, since he took over in 2019, there, there's been a lot of questions, and yeah, I would say probably unfairly, but uh, some questioning about his mid to later round picks. So to have such a home run class like this, a very Ozzy Newsome esque kind of class. Uh, Definitely, definitely good for his stock as well, we'll say. 
All right, so I think that's all we have about the Ravens draft class. Uh, let's look a little bit wider at the NFL, one of our one of our favorite categories here on Rust Street Replay, head scratchers. So what were some head scratchers in this draft? Um, let's talk specifically with players because we're going to get to best and worst draft classes league-wide in a minute. So what were some players who fell a lot further than you thought they would, and what were some players who went, um, who fell, who went a lot earlier than you thought they would? Uh, well, right off the rip, a player that went earlier than we all thought he would is Cole Strange to New England late in the first round. I mean, that video of their war room, I still contend is one of the funniest draft day videos I ever saw. It they just they did not look very happy to be taking that young man. And it's not a knock on him. I think he's going to be a pretty solid player, but it just I don't know. The vibe felt a little off with that one. So that that one felt like a little bit of a reach to me. I'd also say, and, I'm, and we're going to talk, or at least I will be talking about them in the next category, but uh, Jahan Dotson going to Washington that early, I, I just think it was a massive reach. And I think that there was better receivers on the board there, a few better receivers on the board there, uh, much better receivers, if I'm being quite honest. So that one, that felt like a very Al Davis Raiders or not Al Davis, Mark Davis kind of, Oh, and Al Davis too. They're all about that speed, but it very much felt like a, a classic Raiders kind of pick from Washington. Richie, any, any players you felt were really big steals or, or uh, you know, really big, or I guess really bad picks. Uh, Just pretty much new England's draft class in general, really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And, I, I don't I don't say that despite them because obviously as a Ravens fan they're not my favorite team in the whole world but I I don't I don't like the way they draft it and it, this is a, like an every year thing it just feels like we never really see New England just knock their draft their draft classes out of the park but Bill Belichick the coach absolutely saves Bill Belichick the general manager but not to completely downpour on New England here because they're they're doing that just fine all by themselves. <laughs> I feel like the the one oh my god I just I just had it. You, I'll I'll have to come back for for what I hated. If if I can just add just quick rant, I'm really really mad that DeMarvin Leal is a Pittsburgh Steeler. Mm-hmm. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows how much I just absolutely love and adore DeMarvin Leal and when we when we took Travis Jones over him, I kind of came to terms with it. I was like, you know what? It just Leal Leal isn't the greatest fit in the world for us, but we we like our big bodied like nose tackle, nose guard kind of guys, and Jones kind of fits that. But then a few picks later, when he goes to Pittsburgh, that's when I'm punching air, and Salt I'm really wound. yep, exactly. I'm like, and I told I told my dad I was like, Pittsburgh does this every explicit year to to the Baltimore Ravens is I, I'm just every year there's someone that I really want. And then Pittsburgh's like, ah, we'll go ahead and take them. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. I'll just go ahead and cry about that now. <laughs> but I, yeah, big, biggest reaches pretty much pick your favorite out of the new England Patriots draft class with the exception of Jack Jones, but call me biased for that one. If you have to. I think I think my the biggest falls to me, the biggest surprises, Rashid Walker is a big one out of Penn State, a guy we've talked about yeah. a lot as potentially going to the Ravens. And clearly the Ravens didn't see, you know, him put everything he has together. That was the big issue at Penn State. He has everything he needed. And there were games where he played really well, but he could never put it all together consistently. Another O lineman, Jamari Sawyer. Walker dropping, I'm not shocked at because he clearly was not an NFL ready left tackle yet. Sawyer can play across the offensive line, and that's something that's hugely valuable. So I was surprised both him and Zach Fort dropped, uh, or Zach Tom 
dropped as far as they did. Just I just think versatile offensive linemen are really undervalued in today's NFL. Um, I think those are the two players that dropped a lot further than I expected. Obviously, there was the Nakobe D and the injury stuff came out from that. Players who went earlier than I thought, um, you know, I think Wandale Robinson, or as uh, as Ron likes to say, Wandale Robinson, <laughs> uh, going to the Giants at 43, started to screw up what I thought was a really good draft for the Giants because just a, just a reach for a slot guy, and they already have, you know, a, a tiny slot guy in Kadaris Tony. Maybe that means they're looking to shop tra- Tony and trade him. But even then, I don't think you had to go up this early to get uh, Wandale Robinson. Um not a ton of other picks that I really, really hated. Um, I think there are always going to be a couple guys that you expect to go a lot later. Um, you know, the Bra- the Bears taking Velas Jones Jr. That one really bothered me. He was a he's a fine receiver, but if you're you want to find someone who is going to help Justin Fields, and you want to, and and I think them just waiting to address receiver and not going to get one of the Ohio State guys that Fields has good chemistry with is a is a mistake, and. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out for them, because if, if they just punt on his ability, on his rookie contract, then they're really doing him and themselves a disservice. So I'm curious to see how that ends up looking. Um, moving on into best and worst draft class. Um, let's first take a look and see what do you guys think? Who do you think has the best draft class of, of the 2022 NFL draft other than the Ravens? I honestly think the Ravens have a really good case as the best draft class, but we're all homers here. So let's uh, let's let's give some other teams some shout outs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the one that kind of jumps to my mind, and I'm admittedly cheating a little bit because I'm including a trade into this one, but it's the Eagles. Mm-hmm. They go out and they get Jordan Davis in the first round, really kind of ensure that no one's going to be running on them going forward. Then they go and make this massive trade and bring in A.J. Brown, give Jalen Hurts that true blue number one receiver. And then they go and extend him too. Now, is he worth $25 million a year? I'll leave you guys to kind of be the judge of that, but it's a four-year contract. So it's not something that's going to bog them down for a decade going forward. And I think that he's really, he's the kind of guy who could be that difference maker to elevate Jalen hurts into that sort of next level. And then they go and they steal, or I think they steal uh N'Kobe Dean as well. Um, you know, it's funny. All, a lot of the questions about him coming out of the draft are, oh, how's he going to perform when he doesn't have Jordan Davis in front of him eating up blocks? Well, guess what? Now he doesn't have to because Jordan Davis is on his team. Right. So I just I love everything that Philly did. And I think that they really, in my opinion, I, I think that they elevated themselves to being the best team in their division with this past weekend and all the things that they did. Oh, OK, Richie. Um, There is a lot of really good classes, I felt like. I think I'm going to go with the Jets. The Jets, it felt like, got four immediate day one impact, if not if not starters for themselves. Starting it out with Sauce Gardner, who Baltimore Raven fans were just so enamored with, myself included. And the dude just play, played a very similar way to, like, prime Richard Sherman did. And that, that obviously is high praise, and that's not a comparison. It's just that it, he reminded you of that kind of guy. So – Great fit for Robert Sala immediately. They go ahead. They come back into the end of the first round to get Jermaine Johnson. They also find a way to get Brees Hall. Um, oh, my God. Who who was their other first-round pick? They had three of them. The Jets? Sauce. Yeah. They had uh, Sauce. Sauce. Who did they Johnson. Take they took Garrett Wilson. Garrett, Garrett Wilson. Wilson. Thank you. Yes. I, I can't believe I forgot about that. But, yeah, <laughs> you, got, you got two plug-and-play starters on your offense. 
and you got two plug and play starters on your defense. And these are all high upside guys. Reese Hall was talked about as probably the best running back in this draft class. So you, you have, you have guys that you're surrounding Zach Wilson with in order for him to succeed because Wilson is going to team up with Corey Davis to give you a really good one, two punch. And we can't forget about Elijah Moore being there as well. So he's got the receivers. He's got pass catching running backs because Michael Carter jr. Is also there. So you got Carter, you got Reese, uh, you're getting Makai Becton back from a season ending injury. And hopefully he's not 400 pounds, but as long as they can, give him any kind of protection and their offensive line did need a lot of work. And I don't know off the top of their head um, how much investments they made into the offensive line. I I'm not sure I would have to look at their class or their free agency, but you got four immediate starters for that defense. Kansas city also had a really good class for what it's worth. They got some really good value with McDuffie and Karloftis in the first round and coming back for sky Moore in the second round. And yeah, I, I feel like at w- with watching the AFC West start that arms race and Kansas City kind of sit back and let things unfold, they really answered a lot of their questions with this draft class and they're right back in the thick of it. Not that they were ever out. Yeah, so there are a couple of draft classes I really like. The Chiefs are really good. Chiefs are a great draft. Your one-two punch in the first round to add on defense is huge. Sky Moore and Brian Cook are good value in the, uh, in the second round. Leo Chanel, they got Darren Kennard in the fifth round. They got, um, I, I don't really know who their seventh round picks are, but they're, everything else, they got everyone's small school D2 guy and Josh Williams in the fourth round. Like Leo Chanel, even in the third was available. They did a really good job stocking up um, on pieces on defense. I mean, their first one, two, three, four, five, five of their first six picks were on defense and then Kennard. And as well as Sky Moore, that's loading up for what Kansas City really needs and does best. I felt like the Houston Texans had an excellent draft class. Um, I obviously am a huge fan of Derek Stingley. Then they got Kenyon Green, Jalen, Jalen Petrie, John Mechie, Christian Harris, Damian Pierce, Thomas Booker with um, all picks in the first 150. All really good value there. And one of the funny things about about the Texans was in PFF's mock draft simulator. It says their needs are every position. So what did they do? They went out and got decent guys at every position, just good value, just waiting and say, hey, here's our full big board. We need every position. So when every time the best player were up to draft, we're taking the best player available. I know they made a couple of trades. I really like trading up to get Mechie. I think he's a first round talent who his injury is, you know, what dropped him to the second round like Ojabo. And so I think... Um, he even more so than Ojabo since he should be back, I think should be back sooner. Did he tear it in the championship game? I can't remember. Um, uh, Willie Williams toured in the championship. Mechie was like the, like the first round of the playoff or like the sec championship. Game. Okay. Okay. He, so he'll he, be he was back earlier. He'll be back a little bit later than Williams, but I still think, you know, that's great value. Um, and another draft class I really like is the Tennessee Titans getting Malik Willis. Where they got Malik Willis, I can't remember exactly the pick number. I'm looking it up right now. Getting Malik Willis with the 86 pick in this draft is unreal. Like, I think that the hype for him to go two to the Lions was too much, but I think he's a sure first rounder and a sure first round quarterback should not be getting taken anywhere but the first round. But what they did before that was add three really good players in Traylon Burks, Roger McCreary, Nicholas Petit Frere is the kind of offensive tackle that you know he may not be able to be the best left tackle in the league at any point, but he's going to be able to start. Then they got Hassan Haskins, Chagosia McConquo, Kyle Phillips, and in the sixth round, they grabbed Chance Campbell, my old T-ball teammate. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. 
So a good draft from them. The, dra- the drafts I didn't like, there were a couple. The big one that gets me is the Jaguars because I just look at what they did adding Trayvon Walker is the number one. That's fine. Whatever. Go for it. I like Devin Lloyd at the end of the first, but then going Luke Fortner, Chad Muma, and then drafting a running back in two random corners is not a good way to support Trevor Lawrence. I don't know what you're doing there. Get him some tight ends. They don't have time to get him some playmakers. Um, I just don't think that they're really doing the best to build around Trevor Lawrence. And that really bothers me as a guy who, hate seeing really good quarterbacks do well in college and then go to bad teams and not do well. You could argue that Lamar Jackson falling to the end of the first round is the best thing that could have happened to him because he landed in Baltimore. We said the same thing with Ojabo, but with quarterbacks, it's even harsher because it feels like, and I'm say, I said this with the bears earlier, if the bears just give up on fields, they just don't like him for whatever reason, they're going to stick him there. And yeah, a quarterback on his rookie contract is going to be one of his best chances to get loaded up with veteran talent around him. Once he's a free agent, he's not going to be on a rookie contract anymore. And it's going to be hard for teams to buy into his talent once he's been in the league and hasn't gotten the development that he probably should get. I just really hope Chicago figure out a better way to handle that situation. Um, I also agree the Patriots draft class was horrible, which we love to see. But again, it's <laughs> it's Belichick. All, all the people were saying this on the broadcast, right? Bill Belichick like has more football knowledge in his little finger than I have in my entire life, right? My entire body. And there's a chance that he is just playing chess where everyone else is playing checkers. There was someone who said, oh, he's tanking because he wants Will Anderson next year. Maybe, maybe, oh, maybe he's planning to retire and knows he only has funny. a couple seasons left and wants to fill high floor role players. Who knows? It's Bill Belichick is my whole point. And I think I, I, I just think Bill Belichick likes to have the last laugh and, and I've, I've grown weary of betting, betting against Bill Belichick and losing, I guess is, is, is the main thing. I've just, I'm, I'm cautious to come out and say he's had a terrible draft class because I don't think Bill Belichick would willingly have a terrible draft. And so I think he, if he likes these players, there's gotta be a reason for it unless he suddenly, you know, is pulling a heel turn and wants to go crush Rob Kraft on his way out the door of New England or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know. I, I almost, to your point, if he was actually considering retiring, maybe that's why he feels a little more open to kind of taking a swing on a guy who may not be the sexiest pick like a Cole Strange, but like a guy that he's like, eh, you know, he could end up being an all pro, but if not, I don't have to deal with it sort of thing. So it could be uh, when I think of the, the bad classes in this draft, though, my mind, the, the first one that pops to my mind is Washington. I just talked about Jahan Dotson. I think they definitely needed a receiver, but not the pick there, not the pick where they took him. There was still a lot of guys on the board who could have made their offense a lot better. And then you go, if you, if you could think of the, of the Washington football team's biggest strengths right now, you would probably say defensive front and running back. So what do they do in round two? They draft another defensive lineman and another running back. Like it in, in uh, excuse me, in uh, Fedarian Mathis and Brian Robinson. Good players, don't get me wrong, but it just when – when you have so many holes on your team to just kind of be redundant with those early picks, it, it seemed very kind of head-scratchy for me. To defend them a little bit, I do love the Sam Howell pick in the fifth round. I think that's an absolute steal. I was shocked to see him fall that far. And I probably think uh, I won't say he's better than Wentz today just because he's never taken an NFL snap and you can't really know, but my money is definitely on Sam Howell being the starter of that team by the middle of the season. So 
take that for what it's worth. But overall, I just not in love with the class whatsoever. Yeah, well, I, I think I think uh, the commanders drafted a bad draft class because they're bad at everything related to being a, a professional football team. Fair. Um, I, I just think that their their on field product is just just as bad as all of the awful things they do that aren't on the field. And so I think yeah, I've said this before. The two I, I I'm a I try and be I'm a fan of every team in the NFL at this point because I'm so into this sport and this league as a whole. The two teams I actively root against, the Cleveland Browns and the Washington Commanders. And yeah, the Commanders made some bad picks, and I wasn't exactly upset about it. Fair. <laughs> Richie, any final thoughts on the 2022 NFL draft? At least your initial reaction. There's going to be plenty of time to probably cut up some film, talk about the depth chart, all that stuff. But your final takeaways um, for the Ravens for, for this draft class now that the draft is finally over. I think that the Ravens just drafted 11 guys who are going to win a Super Bowl in their rookie year. <laughs> I love that. I, I think that's the best takeaway you could possibly have. Ron, any desire to try to top that? Yeah, I don't know if I can top that. Uh, all, I, all I can say is thanks, Eric DaCosta, because <laughs> that was a hell of a draft. And it's going to give us a lot to talk about in what is going to be now kind of a dead period in the NFL. We sort yep. of hit that summer lull. I'll say for me, I didn't have to find a way to be happy about this draft. I think mm-hmm. one of the risks with the Ravens, with sometimes, with, you know, the, they like to go get their guys is if there were a lot more picks like Demarion Williams, um, I think, and even Kolar, I thought was a little bit early. I really like him. I just thought it was a little bit early to draft him. Um, again, I know they didn't have that many picks later, so they got their guy. Um, I would say it was a draft that I didn't have to find a way to be happy about. I was just happy with every pick. I felt like um, it was also a little bit uh, fun for me as a wannabe GM because at a lot of the picks, 14, I was like Kyle Hamilton, 25, there were a lot of options. Clearly, they didn't like something about Jermaine Johnson, but Linderbaum, great. Um, I was really looking for the Ojabo Jones Falele. I, I knew I was on Zoom with Ron. I'm pretty sure I called all three of those picks. It's just like, these are the no-brainers. They're the obvious picks here. And, you know, from then, the Ravens went and got their guys, and I didn't have to find a way to be happy about those because I already liked a couple of them already. But overall, I just didn't have to bend over backwards to see the upside. It's very apparent. It's very obvious. And as someone who... You know, I like the discourse on Twitter, but I don't like the, you know, ar- the, the ridiculous arguments. And I think it's going to be hard to make a lot of ridiculous arguments, at least about the first four to five picks of this draft class about not, you know, not drafting good players. They drafted really good players and there's no getting around that. Is it September yet? That's all I got to say. I know yeah, I'm real. excited. You know, I'm actually excited for training camp and the preseason, these battles. Mm. I'm excited to see how the roster shakes out. Um you know, the only thing until then is going to be what other veteran additions they make. I'm sure they're going to make one or two. And we're going to find out about that when we probably the least opportune time. I'm going to be out at dinner and on a Friday night, Eric DaCosta is going to randomly drop that we signed Justin Houston or whoever. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready to fast forward through that and just see what the team looks like. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an exceptionally fun draft season, and we're looking forward to getting more uh, analysis, breaking down the 2022 draft class and building into the 2022 season. Uh, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.